Hello, and welcome to In Person, brought to you by Bizabo. In each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. In case you and I haven't already met, I'm Brandon Raffleson. How do you launch a brand? Once it's launched, well, how do you grow it? If you're looking for answers to these questions, look no further than Growth Marketing Conference. Founded in 2015, Growth Marketing Conference has scaled from a single conference to more than 513 events across the globe, all of which are dedicated to hands-on education around business growth. At the helm of Growth Marketing Conference is Vasil Azarov. Since founding the event series, Vasil has seen its membership soar to over 106,000 individuals. Vasil is also the CEO of Startup Social, another event series dedicated to providing networking opportunities for startup founders and teams. Throughout his career, Vasil has worked with large brands like IBM, Microsoft, and Delta Airlines, and has also worked with high-growth startups such as Autopilot, SendGrid, and Zendesk. During our conversation, we discussed how to launch an event from scratch, how to creatively collaborate with partners and sponsors, the best channels for driving both awareness and registrations, the emergence of the event marketing category, why you should look at your event as a product, and we also discussed wine. To put it simply, Vasil is something of a genius when it comes to event marketing, and I'm excited to share this one with you. But first, just one more thing. Is this your first time listening to in person? Are you a repeat attendee? In either case, if you like what you hear, you can help us spread the word by clicking subscribe on your platform of choice and by leaving a review in iTunes. It really helps out a lot. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Vasil, I understand that your work takes you around the world and to a lot of different places. And I know that when you travel, that sometimes you like to appreciate the local wines of those places. My starting question for you is Cab Sav or Merlot? Definitely, if I would have to choose, it would be Cab Sav. But I've tried some amazing Merlots back in the days. Now my preference is French Bordeaux. So it changes. If you could channel your inner sommelier and really describe to us, could you tell us like some of the major notes or the major flavors that you really like about the Bordeaux? I really like the earthiness of it. And sometimes I like the French Bordeaux where you can almost taste the burned wood. Like you can Mm. taste the forest. This is something, earth, forest, this is what I enjoy the most and the smokiness of it. Wow. Okay. I'm going to need to try some Bordeaux. So you are the founder of Growth Marketing Conference. It's an event brand that's dedicated to hands-on education around growth. To set the stage for today's conversation, could you tell us a little bit more about Growth Marketing Conference and your responsibilities there? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Brandon, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and uh, (laughs) been listening to it pretty much since your first episode and huge fan of what you're doing at Bizabo in general. Uh, A little bit about Growth Marketing Conference and our event series. We connect and empower modern marketers and entrepreneurs. Our flagship event attracts over 2,000 of attendees from around the world, 
We hosted in San Francisco where growth marketing was born. And our vision is to become the most valuable event and community for modern marketers. Going back to your questions about my responsibilities. So we have a pretty small agile team right now at the moment. So I'm still very much hands-on when it comes to everything related to event production from initial planning to marketing and sales. I'm head of marketing at the moment, although we're actually hiring one probably next year. But the way I'll see it is that every single entrepreneur and the same thing goes to event producer or event marketer is either a product guy, relationship building guy, process oriented guy or team building type of person, more like a cheerleader. So my role lies more around, or I'm more focused and the more experienced when it comes to product and relationship building. Great. You're leading the marketing for Growth Marketing Conference and really assisting in uh, building those relationships, especially with partners and sponsors and other key influencers when it comes to the success of these events. Yep. You and I have had the opportunity beforehand to chat about your origins. And I know that how you got involved with events really involves a lot of serendipity, but also a lot of hard work. And, you know, you really built something from the ground up. So for those who are not familiar, could you share with us how you first got involved with events and how this led to where you are today at Growth Marketing Conference? Yeah, absolutely. Ever since I remember myself, I was always passionate about being around people and bringing people together. And I started in events back in 2009. And my first professional role was doing social media for hospitality and events. And my first job, so to speak, was running social media marketing for one of the largest online marketing events back in 2009. It was called Online Marketing Summit. And this is when I discovered my passion for being around marketers because they are very creative people and great to be around with. And just by chance, one of the days, some of the key team members from the events team left the company and our former CEO offered me to take over and run events in 14 different cities within two month time frame, which was very scary in the, wow. very, in the beginning. And it was very stressful for the first two weeks. I really hated it. And, but then I, something clicked and even the stress of the event, all the excitement and stress, something that I all of a sudden started to enjoy. And that's when I realized that this is the thing that I would like to be doing. Eventually this conference got acquired and our founder started a new company and I joined founding team and we connected to the local startup community in Silicon Valley. So that sort of was the next step. And that team was acquired. And then I know that you eventually started building out your own event series as well. I mean, today Growth Marketing Conference has produced more than 513 events. It has a community of over 106,000 members, but it all started with a small meetup. Could you tell us a little bit more about startup socials and how that led into Growth Marketing Conference? So around the same time when I we moved into co-working space with a new startup, I start, started to get to know local entrepreneurs and companies in the space. I really loved the energy and that new growth mindset of that community, which was different from marketers that I worked with at the larger companies 
like IBM, Microsoft back in the days. So, and that's where I started to attend local startup events. And I attended startup social mixers organized by my partners, currently Yuri and Vadim, but back in the days they were founders of startup socials. Really love that energy and what is startup socials? Startup socials were mixers born in Silicon Valley with the idea to connect entrepreneurs, partners, startups, and they took the networking in co-working spaces back in the days outside to a more informal environment like lounges where you uh, a little bit more relaxed and really loved the energy there. I was trying to figure out how I can get involved and I volunteered first and eventually we produced one of the largest events they ever had with about over 2,000 people and down the road they told me, hey, we would like to work on our own startups. Why don't you just take over and see where it could take you? And here we are. A few years later, we came up with an idea of organizing the first conference. And four years afterwards, this conference attracted 2,000 people as well. So it's been quite, right. a, quite a journey. And during that time, it's pivoted from startup socials to growth marketing conference. Absolutely correct, yes. So with that, we've had this sort of pivot and how the event series, the events itself has been branded. And it's also just totally blown up. I mean, you said yourself that it's, your events are now bringing in thousands of attendees. There are multiple events going on a year. What have been some factors that have been crucial to the growth of the brand? First of all, I would like to mention our values. And these are the community values as, the, as well as the values of our team. Everyone is an entrepreneur. We all believe in the growth mindset and we all believe in collect, connecting and empowering marketers and entrepreneurs at the event. Also, I think the major role of growth marketing event series success was our brand and positioning. First of all, we don't really have a product or service that we sell. We're brand agnostic, vendor agnostic. We're very community driven. We're very diverse and we globally focused. Our team, in fact, works remotely from all over the world. We have people in South Africa, we have people in Germany, Berlin, East Coast, West Coast, our core team here in San Francisco. And every single year, I'd say 25 to 30% of attendees are arriving from different countries from all over the world. So we definitely very much globally focused and the way we like to think about marketing, modern marketing and growth marketing, we are making it for everyone. In a way, we are democratizing it. So I know that a lot of Silicon Valley people speak in a very technical language that only they can understand. And what we try to communicate is whether you are an enterprise, whether you're a startup, whether you're a digital agency, product marketing manager, growth person, growth marketing is for you. In the nutshell, it's all about teaching cutting edge strategies and tactics, sustainable tactics for any business to grow. So I think people really resonated with that. And if I had to expand on it a little bit more, some other factor that became crucial is that growth marketing and growth hacking were coming out as emerging category. So we were a, a bit lucky that we started our conference around the same time. 
And but right. the most important part that I want to emphasize, we're all about meeting people in person and building relationships. So this was the, one of the crucial factors of growth marketing conference success. This is something that you mentioned you're doing a lot of right now. It's also, as you just mentioned, one of the keys to the event being as successful as it's been. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you are building relationships specifically with partners and sponsors to make the event successful? First of all, we started our event pretty much with a zero marketing budget. So we had to get creative and partnerships for us have been crucial on that path. So a couple of things that we did that might think unconventional, but I think it's something that played to our advantage is with we really promoted our competitors. To expand on that, one of the things we realized by talking to our community is that they cannot attend every single event. And just by giving them other opportunities to attend, the events from our competitors, we actually built credibility for ourselves. So we partnered with many other events. Some of them are quite competitive in nature. Some of them have an overlap when it comes to our audience. But at the same time, sure. we know that events are high quality and we did promote them. In fact, we did create a calendar that we produced at the Growth Marketing Conference and we gave away to every single attendees with our calendar of recommended growth marketing events from our partners. So that's how we mm. provided some exposure to them. And at the same time, it made us look good, but wasn't the main purpose of it. But one of the key elements of building a successful relationship, you need to make sure that you're leveraging your strength to make it a win for your partner. For example, in our case, we have a community that we can leverage to help partners grow their brand, get new customers, and at the same time, they have something else that they can provide to our community and to us to help us grow. Another crucial element that it needs to be something that also makes it a big win to the community. So you don't just use your community by pushing some stuff that they don't need. So I can give you a couple of specific examples. Please, that'd be very helpful. So about uh, six years ago, we built a very important partnership with Business to Community, which is a large uh, media property, which has about 2 million of unique visitors every month. And I was producing webinars for them on a regular basis as a consultant first, but eventually I became a partner. So for us, we did recruited all of the speakers for all of these webinars, and we provided all of the technology. Well, they provided technology to execute on the webinars, but we were bringing speakers and valuable content. At the same time, they were promoting webinars to their community, which helped us grow our subscriber list down the road and help us eventually grow our email list from 10,000 to over 50,000 of subscribers because they have such wow. a huge traffic to their website. So you were doing webinars for this organization. And while you're doing these webinars, you were able to plug Growth Marketing Conference. And then they would amplify that message with their own distribution, their own reach. Yeah, and we did have a partnership that we share in their privacy policy. They could share the registration list with their partners. So we took advantage of that too. Wow. Yeah, this is one of the example of creative partnership. Another one that we are about to launch with our partner Sendozo, 
and they're big on account-based marketing and they provide you with opportunity to send a personalized gifts to uh, potential customers. We're actually partnering with them right now as we speak to send handwritten notes and small gifts to some of the previous growth marketing conference attendees and invite them to Global Growth Marketing Conference. And this campaign will be co-sponsored with Sendozo. So they would get an exposure out of it and they would be providing all of the gifts. They would take care of all of the shipping. At the same time, we are benefiting by getting that message out and they benefiting by getting the word out about their company as well. I think that's something that's uh, it's, it's really neat to hear, especially for organizations that might be on the smaller side. I know that definitely some of our listeners are in that boat of how you can work with other organizations to not only amplify our reach, which I think is huge, but also to find unique ways to engage your audience, like this partnership with Sendosa, or get access to other tools or services that you wouldn't normally have. 100%. And again, the key is to think about it as a win-win for both of the parties and a big win for community. I think these are two examples of great partnerships where there's a, a very clear win-win. But I know that as Growth Marketing Conference has, well, continued to grow, you have also started to lean more onto traditional sponsorships. In making this, this transition to more actively leaning on sponsorships or incorporating them into your events. What have you found to be really key to keep in mind? Yeah, so we've made many mistakes down the road as we were <laughs> building our sponsorship program. And one uh, something that we realized because we are we were trying to implement traditional enterprise B2B SaaS playbook to event sponsorships and it didn't work at all. So uh, we realized that you cannot hire a person who is very aggressive when it comes to sales strategy. It's always good to have someone who understands sales methodology, but it's so much more important to hire somebody who is really good at relationship building. So because when you try to recruit a sponsor for your event, there is no free trial. So they cannot test out the product because especially for the very first time, they have to trust you that you really take care of them at that event. And for that specific reason, your first event is so important. This is the first impression that your sponsor gets. And you really have to make sure that on the sales side, you need to bring a, that person who convey your brand and really able to describe what that event would look like how that sponsor brand would be positioned at the event. So it cannot be that person who just does their traditional sales playbook and try to close the deal as soon as possible. Something that we learned by letting go a couple of our head of sales is that something that really works for us right now is merging the roles of head of sales and customer success. In fact, we require our partnership, uh, heads of partnerships, and everybody who drives sales for the business to be able to learn exactly the needs of a sponsor and be able to support them all the way leading up to the event and afterwards. To give you a very concrete example, as soon as 
the sponsorship contracts get signed. We uh, schedule a kickoff meeting with a partner. We make sure that we identify their, their objectives, goals. We try to get their target customer list. So we will be able to invite these people to our events. And then we have a cadence, establish a cadence of meetings leading up to the event to make sure that we never lose touch. And that's, that is something that helps us to have 50% retention of sponsorships from the last year, while back in the days we had only 10% of sponsors coming back to us. That's a huge turnaround. I think that's something very novel to have such a customer-centric or I guess sponsor-centric approach to engaging with these different partners and sponsors is really going to out of your way to make sure that they feel taken care of at every step. Yeah, and one of the things I would like to add to it is just as we start, as far as we're talking about sponsorships, and this is something that I've learned from some other event organizers, and we successfully implemented at our company. Sometimes going in person to an event and meeting that VP of marketing, CMO in person, and talking about some topics that you both are passionate about, it could make such a huge difference. We had one deal in our pipeline for one year and a half, and just by me going to one event recently and meeting that person for literally for half an hour uh, led to a deal closing within a month. So wow. you cannot underestimate the power of in-person. There we go. <laughs> it sounds like when it comes to securing these sponsorships, face-to-face -face is really important. I know this has been also an essential component of how you have promoted the event as well to attendees. For our listeners who might be looking for a little bit more growth marketing advice on how they can growth hack their own events, which channels have you found to be really successful in scaling? So we already talked about partnerships, but if we dive a little bit deeper, so the way we work with partners is we co-promote each other events. So we also provide a discount to our events. We obviously provide some exposure to the relevant partners. Everybody knows that logo on the website, exclusive discount, sometimes opportunity to moderate a panel or MC the event in exchange for them helping us spread the word. Something that I think that we're doing that uh, on the more of a, on the innovative side, we really invest into helping that word of mouth organic strategies. So we really try to spend a lot of time with our existing attendees, again, leading up to the event and afterwards. For example, we host webinars for existing attendees several times to explain them what really they would get at the event so they can anticipate that experience, the people that they would meet, our vendors, which of them would be relevant to them so they can set up meetings ahead of time, what kind of sessions they should bookmark in their calendars. And another part, as soon as the event is over, we try to talk either in person or over a video call with at least 30 previous attendees. And we record these conversations, we analyze them, and that's how we improve on the event experience for the next year. So that's partnerships and word of mouth, I would say, has been our most successful channels when it comes to growth. It's really difficult to measure them, but at least we keep hearing that, oh, somebody else mentioned the conference to me, so I have to attend. But another channel that works for us is outbound marketing. So 
it's really if you figure out your event as a product, then you can, the way I see about it is if you put the right product in front of the right customer who maybe never heard of you, but if the offering is there and it's 100% relevant and you get it to in front of your interested customer at the right time, it doesn't really matter that they never heard of you before. That's why cold email worked for us like magic three years ago. And then afterwards, a lot of other conferences started doing it and now it's less effective, but I think it still works. Very personal message on LinkedIn to a right person with a message to bring their team to the event worked for us much more efficiently than content marketing, for example, which is something that we are just starting to focus on. And the first channel would be search engine optimization and performance marketing. And this is ties in into building successful partnerships as well, because we are growth marketing conference and we are connected to some of the best people who can do search engine optimization and performance marketing for us. So we build re relationship with these companies. So they advise us and they actually execute search engine optimization, content marketing and Facebook marketing PPC campaigns for us. So this is another example of a great partnership where you're providing value to these individuals, these organizations, and they're providing a service for you in exchange. Okay, so there's outbound, there's working with your partners to amplify the message, there's working with different partners to help you out with different aspects of promotion beyond just distribution and reach. Uh, that's all very cool. And I think one thing you mentioned there that I have never heard of before, but is the fact that you're having basically exit interviews for people who have attended the events. You know, obviously there's MPS, which is very valuable. There, there are event surveys, which can be very valuable if you can get people to actually fill them out. What's the program like for getting your 30 or so attendees to opt in to a conversation like this? You can also do it strategically. I wouldn't choose this attendees randomly. So you probably understand which brands, which companies you would want to see next year at the event 100%. You would want to see some of the companies at your event year after year strategically because this is your target audience. So I usually start with the companies like that and usually offer either a discounted pass or one complimentary pass and a special discount for their team if they would agree in exchange for half an hour of their time when we have the interview questions prepared. But the process is we schedule them usually back to back and then it's me and our head of operations and experience at the, at the event. We on the call, sometimes we record the call, sometimes we don't, sometimes we take thorough notes and down the road, we aggregate that information as a part of the Google doc. And then we have the all hands team meeting where we analyze this data and brainstorm some of the suggestions on how we can improve the next year event. So that's the process. I'd love to pivot into the future of events. I know this is something you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. And my first question here is, how is event marketing becoming the next category of innovation? You mentioned that at one time, growth marketing was the one and you were able to ride that wave, but now event marketing is very much becoming that. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, if you would Google event marketing 
I would say two, three years ago, the results that you would get would be absolutely different from what you see these days. And if you go to LinkedIn, for example, and look for a job search, you would see such a huge demand for event marketing roles right now. All of their Silicon Valley brands and uh, larger B2B and consumer brands currently hiring for event marketing or field marketing. I also looked at some research and I know that you at Beezaboy actually did a, uh, a very comprehensive research which shows that average CMO invests 24% of their budget into the events. I think it was a couple of years back. Now it's probably more than that. And Entrepreneur Magazine did another research and they found out that two thirds of all of the marketers invest in the events currently. Facebook recently changed their entire mission statement and it happened actually at the live event in Chicago. And now their mission statement is bring the world closer together. So in my prediction, when it comes to it, that events would become one of the most profitable channel to acquire customers, to engage them and to retain them, especially as we move into a new era of artificial intelligence and all of this new technology, machine learning is becoming big new things. So there would be a deficit, my prediction of in person and really human connection. And that's why I think event marketing is so powerful. And what I mean by that, just to expand on it, it's a combination of really understanding the event as a product, as a platform to also understand how to market that product, how to drive sales, how to drive the attendance for the event, and finally providing the experience at the event. And customers, end users or event attendees would be coming back year after year. It sounds like this is another trend that I know that uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about, but it's this growing role of the event marketer. It's it's no longer just about you're in charge of just getting to people to an event or you're in charge of just finding some content and letting it go. But it seems like the responsibilities of event marketers is growing a lot. We're kind of talking about it right now, but how else do you see this sort of shift to a, a full stack uh, event producer happening? This is something that I learned back in the days when I was working with the larger brands and we were organizing an event in 2011 for enterprise marketers. A lot of event producers or event managers, they were sort of disconnected from a marketing department. And also from, they were really, had a very solid understanding of event logistics or event experience, but then sales and marketing wasn't as a separate department, so to speak. And I didn't hear anybody talking about event as a product and really thinking about that concept from the inception before coming up. And what I mean by that is really thinking about the unique value proposition of your event, the brand, and as well as the experience before you even plan the event, how you will market it. So event marketer is someone who understands event as a product, who really knows how to drive sales and marketing for that event, and who also understands the logistics and the event experience and able to put all of this together. 
it seems like there is definitely more attention being paid by uh, larger organizations when it comes to events. We're seeing this reflected in the responsibilities of event marketers these days. Why do you think we're seeing more events? And in particular, why do you think it's easier to do it now than it was before? I personally feel that as event becoming an emerging category right now, especially here in Silicon Valley where we based, I've been seeing a lot of companies, a lot of funded high growth startups being putting together their customer conferences. So on one hand, it's becoming a trend in addition to larger enterprise companies were putting together events for a very long time. But now finally, there is more information becomes available on how to actually do it. My, again, and this is my hypothesis, I felt, and also by talking to some other marketing executive, I actually know it for a fact, some of them don't have that clear understanding why we're spending $2 million budgets on these events just for brand purposes, but they still feel that there's attribution they, it's really hard for them to attribute that ROI, but they're still doing it for brand-related purposes. There are some other brands who are afraid to do these events because they think it's too difficult. But nowadays, it's actually not difficult at all. So I think more and more brands are realizing right now that building events, investing into events, leveraging other events is the fastest way to connect with your existing and future customer. And it doesn't require a huge budget to start your own event. All it requires is a playbook, is a step-by-step -step formula that uh, event marketer actually understands. We kind of talked about getting an event off the ground before, but I mean, if there's anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, so if you're starting your event from scratch, I would think of it long-term. It's very important when you start an event to think about the event series, not just one standalone event that you're planning to produce, because you might not be able to build that following and brand for your event if you just think short term. It always helps if you build an event on top of an existing category, or if you're a larger company, you might even brainstorm on how to create your own category as a part of the event. Then think of it from start to finish before you actually get to work. Hire a consultant to double check on your budget. It's hmm. extremely important if you start in, in the, the very beginning, if you don't have anybody in house. Think about the right brand and positioning. And if you're a really small, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you're not a big company, you don't have too many resources, try to get, think of the venue and uh, getting at least one big sponsor up front to help you fund your event, to minimize the risk of uh, losing money. That totally makes sense. I'd love to pivot to you and sort of get a bit more uh, perspective on how you are leading your own team and some of the things that you've found to be successful for your own career. And one of those things is around relationship building. We've talked about it a lot during this conversation today, but it's one of those things that it can be kind of difficult to do sometimes. What have you found to be successful in 
expanding your network. Yeah, something that was very helpful for me is I, and this is one of the my mentors and advisors helped me frame it, is that think of any relationship building as building your trusted advisory board. So every single meeting that you have, think of it is whether that person could be your potential advisor down the road and what would you do if you have that mindset. So obviously think of it very much long-term. Think about understanding the other person's personal and business goals and how you can help him or her to achieve these goals, short-term and long-term. So this is something that has been crucial for me, building the relationships and for our company, for the company growth in general. Maybe if we can give a specific example, building relationships with our speakers, for example. And a lot of people ask me how you are able to get this high-profile brands or some of the speakers that charge thousands and thousands of dollars to speak at your event. But there are a couple of important things for every single either professional speaker or brand. At some point of their career, there would be a moment when they need some publicity, when they need some help, whether the new book coming out or they launching a new product or they hiring someone, right? So this is where if you have a community, if you build a community, this is how you can help them. So first, try to meet with them in person. Again, we've been talking about in person quite a bit during today's interview. And the way, <laughs> the way usually it's easier to meet people who are not very easy to approach in person is look by looking at the conferences where they speak and especially when they travel. So usually when high profile people travel, they usually have a little bit more time for meetings than when you just reach out to them out of blue. So that's how I build a lot of relationships and was able to set up meetings with them and really trying to strategically understand and get to know them before you try to offer to collaborate with them on a project. So this is something that really, really helped us understanding their goals, understanding their challenges, help them achieve their goals, promote them, promote their content. This is something that you cannot fake. Right, You really need to be really uh, authentically interested in what they do in their work. It's not about just, hey, you know, you work for Facebook, you would be a great speaker for our event. It doesn't work like that. So you try to get to know a person and eventually build a relationship before you ask for anything. We have time for a couple more questions. First one is, Who's an influential marketing or events leader that you think is really doing a great job? Something that I really pay attention to is not necessarily just a leader, but more of event experience in general. Every single time I go to an event, there's always one or two things that I see there that I absolutely love. It could be a very small details, very memorable details. Like, for example, I've been at Traction Conference for a couple of years back, and they were having uh, caricature portraits of their speakers and uh, opportunity for attendees to drop business cards next to them to connect with speakers, which obviously uh, their business cards would be given to the speakers later on. So for me, 
I'm thinking about those small things that you notice at the events, and I try to attend new events year after year. Obviously, Dreamforce, Inbound, they have a great production, but I give credit more to smaller organic events like TractionCon, for example, or uh, one of the events that I was following for some time is Sales Hacker, which got eventually acquired by Outreach. So definitely follow Max Altschuler and his work. Another yeah. another event that I would like to quickly I don't I don't know if you ever heard of StartCon events based out of Australia and I interviewed no. Cheryl she was a part of our event marketing school series actually we we partnered with you guys last year on and she just traveled out of Canada randomly to Australia and a few years after she started a conference that now attracts 4000 of startups at one of the biggest startup events in Australia. So these types of stories really inspire me. Those uh, building something from scratch, from the ground up sort of stories. Absolutely. Very inspiring. Okay, final question. If you could give you an earlier version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Yeah, one of the pieces of advice that I would give myself is to really... And this is, gives me that perspective and framework of thinking about events and managing events company, even right now, is that everything is going to be okay. There are always sleepless nights when you have anxiety. And I, I think I remember one time when I had it maybe a few years back, I was I had to lock myself in the room and I just literally was so stressed out. I felt that nothing is coming together and the conference will be a complete disaster. And every single year, even right now, I'm having these moments where, well, now I don't lock myself anymore, but I'm just telling <laughs> myself it's going to be okay, right? And every single time I have that feeling, I'm always, hey, look at the conference. It was happening for the last five years. It's going to happen this year. It's going to happen next year. And just a reminder that this anxiety will go away. Events business is a roller coaster. Just try to think and focus on positive things, the things that you love doing every day. And this is something that will keep you going. A huge thanks to Vasil for joining us. And again, thank you for listening. There's a lot I found myself thinking about after this one. Vasil's approach to building relationships with sponsors and partners, the many ways that he's managed to growth hack the Growth Marketing Conference brand in the past four years, and also his perspectives on events as a product. However, one thing that really stuck with me is Vasil's perspective on the changing role of event marketers. In many ways, it echoes what Andrea Rosen from Adobe 99U mentioned in an earlier episode. The question I'll leave you with is this. How do you see your role? Do you consider yourself an event manager, an event marketer, or something in between? Regardless of your role, how do other members of your company perceive your contributions? Do you find that their perception is in line with how you see yourself? Something to think about as the role of event marketing changes in the coming years. Time to turn the mic to you. If you have any feedback for the show, please drop us a line at in-person at We always look forward to hearing what you have to say. 
You can also find full transcripts of the show, along with key takeaways, at inpersonpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson. This has been In Person, and I'm not really sure what time of the day it is where you are as you're listening to this episode, but right now, I could go for a glass of red wine.